the sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church, a member of the Wells of Hancock, Minnesota, from November 7, 2010. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God, through which the Holy Spirit focuses our eyes on our returning Savior who comes to judge the living and the dead, is Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is evidence of God's just judgment, so that you are deemed worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. If indeed it is just on God's part to give back trouble to those who trouble you and rest along with us to you who are troubled. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with the angels of his power in flaming fire, giving retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they're the ones who pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the face of the Lord and away from the glory of his strength when he shall come glorified among his saints and marveled at among all who believe. For our testimony to you in connection with that day has been believed. This is the word of our Lord. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Paul wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul, to the Christians in the city of Thessalonica. That city was in the northern part of Greece. Paul first visited it on his second missionary journey, probably around the year 50 A.D. He came to Thessalonica from the city of Philippi. Do you remember what happened to Paul at Philippi? He and his co-worker Silas had been thrown into prison overnight for driving out a demon from a slave girl. But through that, the Lord had brought the gospel to that jailer at Philippi so that he and his household were baptized that night. The next day, Paul and Silas left and went to the town of Thessalonica. Now, what kind of reception was he going to receive there? As was his custom, he went to the synagogue in the town, and for three Sabbaths, he showed them from the scriptures that the Christ, the Messiah, had to suffer and die and then rise from the dead. And he proclaimed to them, he preached to them, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now, some of the Jews there believed the message, and a large number of the God-fearing Greeks believed it as well. But many of the other Jews who did not believe became jealous. They rounded up a mob and stormed the house of Jason, where Paul and Silas had been staying. And when they did not find Paul and Silas there, they hauled Jason and some of the other believers before the town magistrates and accused them of defying Caesar by proclaiming Jesus as king. Jason and the others had a postponed. And that night the believers made sure that Paul and Silas got out of town safely. Paul and Silas went on to the next town, Berea. And the Bereans were of more noble character. They took in Paul's message of the gospel of Jesus. And they daily searched the scriptures to see that what Paul was saying was really God's truth. 
But when the unbelieving Jews from Thessalonica heard what was going on in Berea, they came to Berea and stirred up trouble against Paul and Silas. That's how fanatical they were against the Christians. So maybe you can imagine what life must have been like for those Christians back in Thessalonica with with such a strong opposition rooted right there in their own town. Think of the intimidation, the trumped-up charges, the mob violence they faced, the loss of business and social standing, the fear for their families and their future. How easy it would be, how tempting to turn away from Jesus. Why face down the world when it brought such troubles? So was this church in Thessalonica a, a dying church? No, dear friends, not at all. Listen to what Paul writes in verses 3 and 4, right before the text here today. He says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing. It wasn't a dying church. Your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecution and trials you are enduring. They faced the world and all its hatred and persecution. They faced the world with perseverance and faith. Yes, instead of giving up on Jesus, they grew in faith. And that perseverance and faith in the face of persecution, that, dear friends, that is the evidence that Paul refers to in the opening words of the text here. The evidence that God's judgment is right. They faced the world confident of God's judgment. Keep that thought in mind here today. Now how well are you facing the world? Oh, in a lot of ways we have it much better than those Christians in Thessalonica did, don't we? Maybe, in fact, we have it too good. Oh, Pastor, how can you say we we have it too good? Didn't you notice this last Tuesday there was a sea change of of an election? People are unhappy with the way things are. And you don't know my pain, my problems, my trouble. How can you say it's too good? And you're right. We do face our share of the evils of living in this sinful world. The economic winds blow unpredictably. Disaster and disease strike unexpectedly. The inevitable decline of age overtakes each one of us with its pains and sorrows. And the scriptures are indeed filled with promises directing you and me to our Heavenly Father. His care and uh, Protection will not fail you. He even watches over the sparrows and the lilies. How much more won't he watch over you, his baptized child? The wings of his mercy are spread over you. He makes all work together for the good of you, his blood-bought people. Trust your heavenly Father. For in Jesus... He is truly your Father. 
But dear friends, what the Thessalonian Christians faced was not only those evils that come from living in this sinful world that can strike anyone, anytime, anywhere. No. They also faced the troubles that come only to Christians as they stand up and face down the world living for their Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, the Thessalonians could have escaped those troubles, couldn't they? All they had to do was turn away from Jesus. But instead... Instead, they persevered and grew in faith. For you see, the persecution that comes as they faced the world, squarely set in front of them that choice. Do I truly love my Savior? And I, am I willing to follow Him facing down the world? Or, or should I go back to the old ways? They were good enough for my parents. Should I go back to the old ways and escape this persecution? There was no in-between. Either they would be growing in faith, or they would give up on Jesus entirely. There was none of this self-deception that calls themselves Christian and coasts along in their faith when really their heart is somewhere else. And that's why, dear friends, maybe we have it too good. We live in a time where it's still, for the most part, beneficial to call yourself a Christian. There is no government-sponsored opposition, and, and we thank God for those blessings. And yet that makes it so easy to wear the name Christian and yet not live the faith. It's so easy to fool ourselves into thinking that we're pretty good Christians with our hearts on fire when really our faith is just a smoldering wick that we're unwilling to fan into a flame with God's word and sacraments, ignorant of how close we are to having no faith or a wrong faith. For you see, dear friends, if we're not afflicted by the world, that's not because the world has become Christian, that's because we've compromised with the world. The more we live our faith and face down the world, the less we fit in. And let that sink in for a moment, because there's a deep desire in all of us to fit in. But the more we live our faith, the less we fit in with the world. Oh yes, the world will say, it's okay for you to be religious, but don't be too religious. And so we do our religious stuff on Sunday mornings, but we don't want our religion to cramp our work hours, our family time, our sports, our recreation, our leisure, our fun, our sleep. And the sad part about it is we don't even realize how many of our day-to-day -day decisions are driven by the world's values rather than by our faith. That's not living the faith. That's not facing down the world. And to top it off, we often seem to be content with this smoldering faith that just sort of coasts along. 
Just look at our Bible class attendance, for example. We seem content with the smoldering faith. We don't want to take the effort to fan it into a flame. We're using God's word and sacraments. As long as I have enough faith to coast into heaven, we figure we're okay. For you see, as our faith grows, then conflict grows. As our faith grows, we feel that inner desire more and more to live for Jesus. We refuse to compromise with the world, and so we fit in less and less. That's why it is so hard to live our Christian faith. Outright persecution, at least, drives the Christian to go to the Scriptures as our only hope and strength like it did for the Thessalonians. Maybe we have it too good. But what encouragement does this word of God before us here today give us to build up our hearts and to move us to face down the world, living our faith, following our Savior, How difficult that is, how much we need the encouragement and strength that comes from the scriptures. For as soon as we start becoming too religious, the world penalizes you. And no doubt you have felt that firsthand. You did the right thing. You let your faith shine out, your faith in Jesus. You did not compromise with the world and you suffered for it. So where, where do we find the strength in the face of such opposition so that we're not tempted to turn our backs on Jesus? Here, dear Christian, here the Apostle Paul offers you comfort, strength, and encouragement as he points us to three aspects of God's judgment. First of all, When you face the world and suffer for living your faith, God's judgment is counting you worthy of his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here as he refers back to the Thessalonians' perseverance and faith in the face of persecution and says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So when the world makes you feel like a loser for following Jesus, remember, God's judgment overrules the world's verdict. He counts you worthy of his kingdom because Jesus' worthiness counts for you through faith in him. Yes, that very faith that the world so hates. That very same faith that brings us the opposition of the world as we we face it down is the same faith that claims Jesus' worthiness as your own. So face the world confident of God's judgment that counts you worthy because of Jesus. Second, even though for the present 
It appears that the world gets away with its evil ways and opposition against God's people. Even though those who follow the world seem to succeed and Christians suffer setbacks. Judgment Day is coming. The Apostle writes, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from his presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. In a way, you can say that Those who follow the world will finally get what they've been asking for. They wanted to live their lives without God's interference. They wanted to keep Jesus at a distance. And in the end, Jesus will say, so be it. I will withdraw my powerful blessings, my merciful majesty, my glorious goodness from you. And that, dear friends, is what hell is. As as it says here, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. No hope, no peace, no rest. That is the everlasting destruction, the unending suffering that awaits those who do not know God and do not trust Jesus and his gospel. So don't be fooled. Yes, the world and those who follow it may appear to succeed for the present, Take note of the final outcome. Face the world, confident of God's judgment against it. And finally, the third aspect of God's judgment here. Face the world, despite the suffering it causes you now, because of what judgment day will bring for you. On the day the Lord comes to be glorified in his people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. Sometimes we wonder, how can heaven be so wonderful? Won't we we get bored there after a while? What happens if I don't like singing to begin with? Notice how Jesus is described here. To be marveled at among all those who have believed. Heaven is a continuous marveling, wonderment, a being amazed. And how much don't we love amazement? Whether that's a a spectacular catch in the end zone or some astounding work of art or piece of music whether that's a glorious sunrise on a frosty fall morning or the beauty and strength of a thoroughbred. We love amazement. How much isn't our entertainment driven by that desire for amazement? Think of the special effects in movies or the twists and turns of a story that keeps us watching and listening and reading because we are wondering how it's going to turn out, and yet we don't really want it to end, because then some of the amazement is gone. Yes, all of this, doesn't it all aim to amaze? 
and yet all this earthly amazement only lasts for so long and can only be so great. But dear friends, the amazement, wonder, and marvel of heaven knows no end and no limit, no bound. And what is it that is so amazing? Well, if if you look at the text here, it's that we are in the presence of the majesty of our God and in the glory of our Savior. But words, words fall short. Just think of how even trying to describe something that's amazing on earth doesn't bring that same amazement. Yeah, you might try to describe to your friend that, that catch or that work of art or that story, but they don't feel the same amazement you did as you experienced it. Amazement is something you have to experience to really know. And heaven, heaven is beyond all of our experience. But this I can tell you, dear friends. Even the holy angels, those fiery spirits who are so much more powerful and wiser than we are, even they stand in utter amazement at the majesty and glory of our God and Savior. How much more won't we? face the world confident of God's judgment that brings you the amazement of heaven. Yes, dear friends, that is what is waiting for you. For you, sinner, are a saint. You are one of God's holy people through faith in Jesus Christ. For you believe that the perfect holy life of Jesus covers you and clothes you as his bride. You believe that Jesus died and his holy precious blood pays for your sins. You believe that he rose from the dead in victory for you and that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead as your Redeemer. You trust Jesus. And so, dear friends, this includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. You have believed the testimony of the Scriptures. And so like those early Christians in Thessalonica, your faith faces the world's opposition, confident of your Savior. Your faith eagerly lives for Jesus, awaiting the glory of heaven and its amazement. Your faith faces the world confident of God's judgment. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.